This morning we continue in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, you can see the title of this message is Living a Gospel-Worthy Life. There was an article that appeared in Christianity Today on June 21st, 1974. And this article was written about the Christians in the Soviet Union who were living in persecution. This article spoke of a former criminal by the name of Koslov, who later became a believer, but who wrote about his life in the Soviet prison. And here is what he wrote. He said this, Among the general despair, while prisoners like myself were cursing ourselves, the camp, the authorities... While we opened up our veins or our stomachs or hanged ourselves, the Christians, often with sentences of 20 to 25 years, did not despair. One could see Christ reflected in their faces. Their pure, upright life, deep faith, and devotion to God. Their gentleness and their wonderful manliness became a shining example of real life for thousands. Even in the midst of their persecution, these believers were living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Just as Paul was while Paul was in prison. Living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And it's this message that he gives the Philippian believers who were living in a time of persecution. And although they were being persecuted, they were to live their life in a manner worthy of the gospel. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see a change in Paul's letter here. There's a change in his letter. He goes from talking about his own life and his own desires. We looked at that last week in verses 22 through 26. To now speaking directly to how the Philippians are to live their lives. To live their lives in persecution as believers in Christ. Paul's attention in his letter now turns away from himself and on to them. You remember from last week in verse 25, Paul's desire for the Philippians is that they would progress in the faith. There would be progress in the faith and that they would increase in their joy in the faith. And he knows that there will be progress as they live their lives in light of the gospel that has saved them. And so now... In our text this morning, he appeals to them to examine their own hearts, to look at their own lives and how they're living. Now, of course, Paul is in prison as he's writing here, so he's not able to get to Philippi to preach to these believers here. 
And so he writes to them to exhort them on how they are to live their Christian lives, especially in the midst of suffering and persecution that they are enduring. As we study this passage here this morning, we're going to see that the same truths apply to us as well. These same truths apply to us. What Paul writes to the Philippian believers is timeless truth. And we would do well to heed Paul's commands so that we would live a life that reflects the gospel as well. And so if you haven't already, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and follow along as I read our passage beginning in verse 27. Philippians 1 and verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now, as we work our way through this passage here, I must admit to you up front that there's a lot packed in here, and we're not going to be able to get through all of it this morning. So we're going to break this up into two sermons. It's going to take this Sunday and next Sunday. In fact, I'll just tell you up front, we're not even going to get through verse 27 this morning. So just hang tight as we look at this and study this here together. And as Paul here begins this section in verse 27, in this letter, in the Greek, this here, these verses are one long sentence. It's one long sentence as he begins, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he just continues to write and write and write one long sentence. And his purpose here is to encourage them, to encourage these believers on how they are to live in light of the current persecution that they are enduring. You can see this there in verse 30. Notice what he says there in verse 30. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me. That is, you Philippian believers are experiencing conflict. You're experiencing persecution. The same persecution that you saw in me when I was there in Philippi with you. And if you remember, we've studied that before. What was it that happened to Paul as Paul went into Philippi? He went in and preached the gospel. And he was eventually imprisoned. He was put in prison. Paul and Silas were beaten and put in prison. And these Philippian believers saw that. They saw the persecution that Paul went through for the gospel. And Paul wants to encourage them then on how they are to live in light of persecution that's going on in their own lives. And what Paul uses to motivate them in their Christian living as they're enduring this persecution, what he uses here to motivate them is the gospel. It's the gospel. And this is true of us today as well. 
It's the gospel that should motivate us on how we are to live our lives. When we think about all that Christ has done to save us, what Christ endured, what He went through to save us and to grant us eternal life, that ought to motivate us to live for Him. To live for Him every moment of our lives. This is what we would call gospel living. We need to have gospel living. It's the gospel that has saved us. But we don't forget the gospel the moment that we're saved. We can't. We have heard the gospel and we understand that salvation comes through hearing the message of the gospel. That faith comes from hearing and hearing the message of Christ. But once we hear that gospel, we cannot forget the gospel. We must continually remember the gospel as we live out our lives. The gospel should be on the forefront of our minds at all times as we think about what Christ has done for us. We heard the gospel. We were then saved by the gospel. And now it is the gospel that motivates us to live for Christ. As you can see in verse 29, there in verse 29, Paul says that it is all for Christ's sake. It's all for His sake. We heard the message about Christ. We believed in Christ. We were saved by Christ. And now we live for Christ. Prepositions, they're key. We heard the message about Christ. We believed in Christ. We're saved by Christ. And now we are to go out and live for Christ. It's all for Him. And isn't that what Paul just told the Philippians back in verse 21? Look at what he says back in verse 21. He says, for to me to live is what? Christ. It's Christ. For me to live is Christ. It is the truth that we know and that we believe about Christ that motivates us to live for Christ. It's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we must never forget. And we must then live our lives in a manner worthy of that gospel. And so as we look at our passage here this morning, we're going to see five realities to living a gospel worthy life five realities to living a gospel worthy life first let's look at the conduct of gospel living the conduct of gospel living look at verse 27 notice what paul says there he says only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ now as i said there's a a lot packed into this one verse so hang tight with me as we work our way through this verse Notice that Paul gives here a command. He says, conduct yourselves. Conduct yourselves. This is, this is the main verb. As this is one long sentence here in the Greek, this here is the main verb, the main action that governs the rest of the passage. And so as we study this, we want to look and we want to see what is the main action, what is the main thing that Paul is calling us to do. What does he say here? He says, you must conduct yourselves. The word conduct in the Greek actually means 
to live as a citizen. To live as a citizen. And this here would have been very familiar to the Philippians. They would have picked up on Paul's use of this word here. They would have understood exactly what Paul is talking about here as he uses this word conduct. You see, Philippi was a free Roman colony, and it was the leading city of Macedonia. In fact, it was known as a mini-Rome. Mini-Rome. And the people of Philippi were very proud of their Roman citizenship. We have songs like, I'm proud to be an American. They would have sang the same song, I'm proud to be a Philippian. And they were proud of their Roman citizenship as those who lived in this mini-Rome, in this Roman colony there in Philippi. But Paul uses this word conduct here not to refer to their citizenship in Philippi as a Roman citizen, but he strategically uses this word here to call their allegiance away from Rome and call them to an absolute allegiance to Christ. As they're citizens not of Rome, but they are citizens of heaven. They're believers, and therefore they are citizens of heaven. In fact, look over at chapter 3 and verse 20. Notice what Paul says there. In Philippians 3.20 he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word citizenship there is the noun form in chapter 3 and verse 20. That word citizenship is the noun form of the verb conduct back in our passage. It's the same word that Paul is using here. Only he's using the noun form in 3.20, but back in our passage in 127, he's using the verb, the action, conduct yourselves, live as a citizen. Philippians were proud citizens of Rome. And as citizens of Rome, their allegiance would have been to Rome. But Paul calls them away from Rome and he exhorts them to make sure that they are first and foremost acting as citizens of heaven. They must be living their lives in light of the citizenship that they have in heaven as children of God. Their life wasn't to be lived first and foremost under the law of Rome. They were to live their lives under the authority of Christ. You see, we have people today who are American Christians. American Christians. And sadly, they think of themselves in that order. I'm an American who happens to be a Christian. In fact, there's a a t-shirt that you can buy that says, Proud American Christian. And the tagline for this shirt reads this. If you're a patriotic American, listen to the wording. If you're a patriotic American who also loves Jesus and the cross, then let the world know this with this awesome USA 
Christian t-shirt. The apostle would say, no, you have it all backwards. You have it wrong. You're not an American Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be an American. You're not an American citizen first and then a citizen of heaven. Paul would say, no, you're a Christian first and foremost who also just happens to be an American. Listen, as believers, this world is not our home. It's not our home. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11 that we are aliens and strangers. We're aliens and strangers in this land. Our allegiance is not to America. Our allegiance is to Christ. And as believers, we're called to live for Him. We're to live our lives under the law of Christ and in obedience to His Word, to His law, because you and I as believers are citizens of heaven. That is our home. Now as Paul uses this word conduct back in our passage in in verse 27, in the Greek it is in the present tense. Let me get a little grammatical here with you. It's in the present tense, meaning this, that it is to be a continuous way of life for us. It's something that we must continually always be doing in our lives. Our allegiance isn't to Christ one day and then to America the next day. Our allegiance is always and continually to Christ. No matter where we are at, no matter what we are doing, we are citizens of heaven and we are to live for Christ alone. This word here is also an imperative. Meaning this, it's a command from God. This here is not a suggestion for us. It's not something that you can ponder in your mind. Whether or not you're going to live for Christ. Uh, maybe I'll live for Christ four out of the seven days of the week. Majority, you know, so I guess I win. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this is a command. This is what you must do 24-7. You must be living your life under the authority of Christ. And living your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. This is a command from Christ. And He calls us to live this way always. And therefore, as we live in allegiance to Christ, we then show the world that we belong to who? To Christ. We belong to Him. He's our Master. We get our commands our laws, and our instructions from Him. And listen, there may be times 
when we have to disobey the law of the land. This doesn't mean we disobey the law. No, we obey the law because we obey Christ, right? But there may be times that you and I have to disobey the law of the land. Just as the apostles did in Acts 5. Their allegiance was to Christ. We don't set out to disobey the laws of the land, but when they go contrary to the laws of God, we obey His commandments because our allegiance is to Him. Now, what's also interesting here in this verse is you may have noticed that I skipped over a word beginning in verse 27 there. It is the word only. The word only. Paul uses that word here in a very strategic way as well. And what he is saying here is that there are no other options. This is it, believers. This is it, church. This is how we are to live our lives. This is the only way. And what Paul is doing here is he's reducing the whole of the Christian life to one thing. All of it is encompassed right here in this one thing. And what is that one thing? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does Paul mean by a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? He means that we're to live our Christian life consistent with God's word. He means living your life in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel. He means living your life in a way that shows that Christ is the king of your life. In fact, that word worthy there depicts something that is equivalent to. Something that is equivalent to. That's what that word worthy there means. And this word gives us a picture of a scale or a, or a balance. It's a scale or a balance. And on one side of this scale, the gospel of Christ is placed. The gospel is put there. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Christ's perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection to save us from our sins. To save sinners like you and I from an eternity in hell. That He came and He lived a perfect life. And He calls us to turn away from our sin that we're in. To turn away from our sins and to put our trust in Him alone who came to make the payment for our sins. A payment that you and I could not make. And if we put our faith in Him, He will grant us the free gift of eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And on one side of the scale, that gospel is placed there. And on the other side of the scale, the Philippians' lives are placed there. Or we could say that our lives are placed there. That we put our lives on the other side. And if somebody was to look at that scale, they would see that, that our lives are 
in balance. That we balance out that scale. That we live our lives in such a way that our lives reflect the gospel that is placed on the other side of that scale. That's the picture that Paul has in mind. That's what Paul is calling the Philippian believers to do. To live their lives in that way. So that someone would look at them and then they would look at the gospel and they would conclude they match. They're equivalent to one another. That their lives are lived in such a way that reflects what the gospel teaches. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect or that somehow we're going to reach perfection. We're not going to this side of heaven. But what someone should see is that we are living our lives in holy conduct. That we desire to live our lives in righteousness and holiness and purity. And love and devotion to Christ. That we live our lives in such a way that we seek to honor and glorify Christ who is our Master. That we live our lives in a manner that reflects to others the Gospel that has saved us and the Gospel that you and I believe. In fact, Paul told the Ephesians in in Ephesians 4.1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You've been called by God. What is he saying there? You've been called by God. Now act like it. Live like it. And how do we know how to act as a child of God? We study His law. We meditate upon His law as we just read in Psalm 119. That we would meditate upon His Word. God has revealed it in His Word to us on how we are to live our lives. It's all found in the Scriptures. That's exactly how those Christian prisoners in the Soviet Union were acting. Kozlov described them as living a pure, upright life with deep faith and devotion to God. We would look at Philippians 1.27 and they would, we would conclude that they were conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we are to do that as well. To conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so that's the conduct of gospel living. We're to live our lives in a way that reflects the gospel that we believe and a gospel that we preach. Let's look at our second point, point number two, what we'll call the consistency of gospel living. The consistency of gospel living. Look again at verse 27. Notice what Paul says there. He says, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent. Stop right there. Now, remember... Paul was himself convinced that he was going to be released from prison because he knew that there was more ministry to do in his life. In fact, if you look over at verse 25, notice what he says there. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
He's convinced there's more work to be done. There's more ministry for me to do. And he's convinced in his own heart that God is going to keep him here on the earth to go out and do more ministry. But at the same time, he didn't know for certain whether he was going to live and be released from prison or whether he was going to die as a martyr in prison. That's why he says back up in verse 20, notice what he says there. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body. And notice what he says there, whether by life or by what? Death. He says it's a possibility. I could die in prison. Paul didn't know. Both were a possibility. But if you look over at chapter 2 and verse 19, notice what Paul says there. Paul says this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I, encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul is personally convinced in his own heart, not that he had some direct revelation from God. Again, he doesn't know. Both of them are a possibility that he can live or die, but he's convinced in his own heart that he's going to have some more time on earth. At least enough time to hear a report about them from Timothy. But... He doesn't know whether he's going to make it to Philippi to go and see them or whether he may remain absent and hear about them from Timothy. He doesn't know. Remember, he always had his plans in the Lord's hands. He was directed and guided by the Spirit of God. He doesn't know. He wants to go and see them, but he doesn't know if he's going to go and see them or whether he's going to remain absent absent from them but here's the reality if Paul were to say to them I am being released tomorrow and I'm making my way to Philippi what do you think the Philippians would do in fact how do you think the Philippians would act oh Paul's coming to town clean up quick our father in the faith is coming to town I remember when I was playing football in, in college, every Friday morning, we, 5 o'clock in the morning, we had to do what was called supersets. Supersets. And what they would do is basically take a muscle in your body and they would just destroy it. Just wear it out until you couldn't use your muscle anymore. And one of the supersets that we had was a push-up superset. That is, you had to do push-ups until the coach said that time was up. And you got to a point where you couldn't do push-ups anymore because you were doing them for so long. But we would all be lined up in the end zone and the coach would walk up and down that line there watching us as we're doing push-ups. Well, as soon as he walked by you and kept walking that way, what do you think we did? Yeah, we stopped. <laughs> Well, you go down, and, if, and you watch him, and as soon as he turns around, you're back up in push-up position, <laughs> ready to go, because you know if he's watching and he sees you, 
and you're not doing it, he's going to add more time. You're just going to continue to do more push-ups. And so, you didn't want to get caught slacking off. Well, Paul knew that his presence would motivate them to live for the gospel. He's their father in the faith. He's the one who brought the gospel to them. And he knew that if he shows up into town, yep, they're all going to act godly, holy. But ultimately, Paul did not want that to have an effect on whether or not the Philippians were living for Christ. Why? Because who were the Philippians ultimately accountable to? To Christ. They're accountable to Christ. You see, Paul didn't want the church at Philippi to be dependent upon him and his own circumstances. Their accountability wasn't ultimately to Paul. It was to Christ. That's why he says, whether I come and see you or remain absent, whether I'm there or whether I'm not there, I just want to hear that you are living your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul didn't want their Christian lives dependent upon his presence. All Paul wanted for them was to know that they were conducting their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether he's there to see it, or whether he hears about it from someone else. And think about it, if he hears about it from someone else, that is, if he hears about their godly conduct and how they're living their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel from someone else, what does that then tell Paul? That they actually are living their lives in a consistent manner worthy of the gospel. You see, you, you might shape up when the boss is around. Or when the pastor walks in the door. And accountability is good. Accountability is good. But what about when no one's watching? How do you live then? When no one is watching? Are you living your life consistent with the gospel? Are you living a life of integrity? A life of purity? Holiness? Devotion to God? Because the reality is, is that whether the boss or the pastor or someone else is watching or not, someone is always watching. God is always watching. He sees everything. David knew this. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. He says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. That is, You are all around me. 
always and laid your hand upon me. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. He knew that God is always watching. He knew that God knew everything about his life. God is always watching us. He knows it all. And the conduct of our lives must be lived out consistently in light of the gospel that has saved us. We can't live for Christ on Sunday and then live for us on Monday. It doesn't work that way in the Christian life. We must live for Christ always because our allegiance is to Him. And people should be able to see the consistent pattern of our life as those who are living out the gospel. They should be able to put the the gospel on, on one side of the scale and then put our lives on the other side of the scale and look and say, they match. Paul wanted to hear that about the Philippians as well. That they were conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, whether he was there or not. He wanted them to be consistent in their gospel living. Let me ask you, are you living consistently for the gospel? If someone were to look at your life, would they say that your life matches the gospel that you believe and preach? Paul's desire for the Philippian believers and God's desire for us is that we would live our lives consistently living out the gospel. In closing, the year was 1522. Nicholas Haussmann was a local pastor in Zwickau, Germany. And he went to be home with the Lord. Famous reformer by the name of Martin Luther was at this pastor's funeral. And he gave a a simple but brief eulogy. And here is what the great reformer said of Hausmann. He said this, what we preach, he lived. What we preach, he lived. And what was it that Luther preached? He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of Christ. And Luther knew that Hosman lived out the gospel in his life. That his life was consistent with the preaching of the gospel. That he lived his life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And may that be said of every one of us at our funeral as well. That we are those who live out the gospel that we preach. And so that is the conduct of the gospel 
and the consistency of the gospel. There's three more points, and we'll look at those next week. Will you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we're grateful for the gospel that has saved us. The good news of your Son who took on flesh, became a man, and lived a perfect life. A life that none of us could ever live. Because as your word tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against you. But Lord, we're grateful and thankful for your perfect plan and sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect life and then to willingly go to a cross to die as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Lord, it shows His great love for us. It shows how much He desires us how much he cares for us lord may it be that sacrifice for our sin and the resurrection of our savior that motivates us to live our lives with grateful hearts pleasing you that we would live our lives motivated by the gospel that has saved us. Father, we thank you for this amazing gift, a gift that none of us deserves. None of us deserves eternal life. It's a free gift of you. God, help us to be bold witnesses for the gospel, to go out and to proclaim it to this lost world, and not only to proclaim it and to preach it, but also to live it out. So that what we preach, as they look at our lives, they would say that our lives match what we preach. And God, that you, that you would use that, that message of the gospel that we preach to save many sinners and draw them to yourself. Father, help us to live for your glory and your glory alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.